Hello, Marvelites. You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 600. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. I'm Lorraine Sink. And I'm James Monroe Aguilhart. Yay. He's back. The prodigal son has returned. He couldn't stay away for the 600th episode. No, I can James. I'm glad to be back, yo. I miss you guys. I miss you guys. I feel like I say that every time. I'm sorry. I'm going to do my best to really be better at being with the family. Um, I was with our other cousins over there in Disney Channel Universe playing a dog and a squirrel and stuff. So, And also, I was <laughs> Phil in Hercules. So I was either... I wasn't a half goat man. Thank God they changed that. So I was Phil. And if you go on Disney Plus and Super Kitties, you can see me as a wonderful singing kind of slash evil puppy named Mr. Puppy Paws. And also, if you watch Kiff, you can see me as a kind of dim-witted but very loving squirrel father to a beautiful, energetic squirrel named Kiff. And there, that is where I have been in that world. But I'm glad to be back in the world of Marvel and with my family. I love y'all. Yay. Yay. James, it's so I've heard you plenty of times in Super Kitties. Like I did a, like a double take the first time I like Catherine was watching the show. I was like, is James in here? Where did that happen? Oh, oh. And I saw that and I was like, okay, cool. I'll have to check out Kiff. But Catherine has been obsessed for the last, I don't know, couple of months with the Tangled cartoon series, a three season show. Yeah. She's watched it all the way through three or four times and so she knows lance strongbow like she knows like the lance character and and you're so good in it and it's so fun it's a really it's actually a really well done show yeah it is i've like it's really well done. (laughs) there was the first time through catherine watched the last four episodes on her own and that night elizabeth and i were like we should watch the last four episodes. She's asleep now. <laughs> we missed the ending. We got to know what happens, and we did. Yeah, no shame. It was good. It's. Uh, I have to give it to them. They 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 really put out a wonderful cartoon, and um, you know, I I was very proud to be a part of it. And everybody that was there was happy, and I'm glad the fans are still digging it. And I'm glad that uh, you know, young 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 people can still check it out because it's still there, and people are. And also, the songs are great. The songs are just so much fun. Heck yeah. All right. This isn't This Week in Tangled, though. You're right. This you're right. This go. Week in Marvel. Yes. Um, James, we're so glad you're back. Thank you. Especially because it's our 600th episode. Come and on. Ryan, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, it's not every day that we have 600 episodes of a podcast. It's true. I want to take a walk down memory lane specifically to where this podcast started in a tiny green closet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The beginning, it was just like, I don't know. We're going to talk for two and a half hours and then There's we'll just- There's this thing called a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have like crappy microphones attached to a Zoom recorder. It was me and, and Ben Morris and in like Aww. a small little room at Marvel uh, headquarters and just figuring out like, why not give everybody the news and the information and some personality and perspective and talk about comics and everything else that the company's doing. And here we are 12 years later, 11 years later, whatever it is. It's pretty crazy. You know, it's so funny because we've come so far from you and Ben recording. Also, shout out to Ben Morse, who worked for Marvel for many years and is a wonderful friend to us and to the show. Professor Ben Morse. Now professor. Yes. Um, But he's a professor in Las Vegas, which I feel like is very balanced. Um, (laughs) He doesn't wear a shirt ever. That's just how it goes. And just those like wraparound gas station sunglasses. (laughs) Nice. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we, we really have come so far. They let us out of the little green supply closet into an actual booth with actual recording equipment. And, you know, we've had on some of the 
biggest stars in the world, honestly, yeah. from the Marvel Universe and beyond. And it's really been an amazing, amazing journey in these past 600 episodes. I think I've only been on the show for officially, you know, I used to pop in from time to time to hang out with you guys. But I think I've only really been on the show officially for what, like three or four years, maybe? It was before the end of times. Yes, um, <laughs> that's true. For a while, we got to record all the three of us together for a little bit. Yeah, those were the days. I remember that great picture we took at the Marvel headquarters where we all kind of like, you know, put our fists in. It was like, this is, you know, this is this week in Marvel. And it was really, really cool to like just yeah. be there with you guys. I felt like such a special person for you guys to even invite me to be a part of this and just to be in there with you because you guys are so knowledgeable about everything. And I just kind of was, it was like what, like being a fan to be able to comment as a fan with people who just are fans, but also just literally professors of this. And so it was really, really cool. So thank you for that. And thank you to the fans for listening for 600 episodes. You guys have kept us going and kept us flowing. And we just love your comments. We love your tweets. We love your Facebook posts. You guys are awesome. Because we wouldn't do this if it wasn't for you guys. Yep. Let's get on with the show because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this weekend, Marvel. Whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. Now, later on in the show... Lorraine and I are going to check in with Tom Brevoort, who is Marvel's VP executive editor. We're going to uncover some comic book secrets and find out how we get those big numbered issues, how we get into some of the big milestones, maybe something like Marvel age number 1000. We get to 1000 exactly the same way that we got to Amazing Fantasy 1000 and Marvel Comics 1000 by just deciding to. Definitely stick around for that because I learned so much. Um, and if you're just a fan also of old school Marvel, there's like a lot of really cool sort of details and legacy about how Marvel works and the stories. I don't know. It's really neat. So stick around. <laughs> yeah. If you want to get a, uh, a an official Marvel no prize, they are very rare. There are a few left. And Tom tells us how and where and when those might be possible. <laughs> All right, I think we better get into the news because we got a whole lot of shaking going on. Yeah, oh, James, why don't you kick us off? Because there's a there's a film coming out next week. You got it. Oh, I am ready for this one. One last ride next week because Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 releases in just a week. I can't wait. That's right. The time is nigh. The Guardians returned only to theaters next week on May 5th. We have tons of trailers and clips to get you hyped for this film next week. And next week, we'll have a major cast member from the film on the show. Listen later on to find out who. And the red carpet world premiere just took Hollywood by storm. If you missed it, you can find the clips and the highlights and, of course, the full live stream on Marvel's YouTube as well as marvel.com slash guardians premiere. And there are new toys. This is what I'm very excited about. There are new toys, collectibles, clothes, and much more cool stuff to help you rep your love. Y'all, this is going to be fire. I cannot wait. I hope you have your tickets yeah. because this movie is going to be in theaters before you blink your eyeballs. And it is so good. It's so no good. No spoilers. I'm like, of course you guys saw it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like so itching to see it again and see it with the yes. crowd, like opening night. Uh, I'll be there Thursday, May 4th to see it with seven, 800 people in a big room and very nice. excited. And nice. 
We also have some more cool movie news coming up this week. Sony revealed at CinemaCon 2023 some really cool stuff, including 14 glorious web-slinging minutes of Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Um, also there at CinemaCon, Shamik Moore, who plays Miles, and Haley Steinfeld, who plays Gwen, and Issa Rae, who's going to be debuting as Spider-Woman slash Jessica Drew, were all there uh, talking a little bit, giving some very little hints at what's coming for their characters. Of course, can't wait for this movie to swing into theaters on June 2nd. I'm hyped. It looks so good. So many spiders. <laughs> so many spiders. It's going to be awesome. It was an interesting thing. They revealed that it was... One year and four months after Into the Spider-Verse is what nice. Across the Spider-Verse takes place. I saw um, Chris Miller, who one of the producers and writers and, and sort of big muckety-mucks for the Spider-Verse stuff. He said it was one year and four months. Ooh. Like, I like those details. Into it. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. I like that. That's cool. Um, And then, of course, the most important news of ever, <laughs> Craven the Hunter's Vest. In real life, <laughs> yes. IRL, it's coming to you. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, he was on a video message there at CinemaCon with fans, um, and he shared a first tease of the film, just about a two-minute little look. It included, of course, the vest. You know the vest. The vest. Um, some R-rated hunting, uh, a little hint at maybe Rhino as the villain, some really cool stuff. Um, the film is going to be rated R, and we're looking out for a trailer this summer before the film debuts in theaters on October 6th. Can-not wait. Craven, the fuzzy vested. That is just thirst. Come on through. That's just thirsty bait right there. I mean, that is thirsty bait right there. <laughs> ah! Can't wait to see it. We'll look out for the, more details about that later this year, but tis the season to not just have movies, but also to have comic book. Now, we're not going to talk about it too much this week, but Free Comic Book Day is coming up. It is Saturday, May 6th. I want to make sure you all put it in your plans for next week. Marvel has three comics available at participating comic shops for Free Comic Book Day, again, on Saturday, May 6th. We'll do a full rundown on next week's show, but uh, get, get ready. Go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and then go get some comics. Make it a really awesome weekend. Yeah, and fun for the whole family. There's usually a, a family-friendly comic, too. Make it a whole thing. Also, we want to give a congratulations to Marvel Social and Disney Studios team on their Webby Award win. They won for Social TV Film and Entertainment for Marvel Studios Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Good job, y'all. Now that is how you do it. Yeah, Heck yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, we got some even more... Big stuff coming. Um, we are going to be talking about Marvel Age 100 with Tom Brevoort here a little later on in the show, but I want to give you a quick little lowdown on it. Um, we have some superstar creators that are going to be celebrating Marvel Comics' birthday in Marvel Age 1000, and that is coming out on August 31st. Marvel is going to celebrate 84 years of stories and characters and stuff <laughs> and of course to mark the occasion marvel's going to be releasing marvel age 1000 um it's a massive commemorative issue that includes contributions from some of the most storied and just butt-kicking creators in marvel history um, as well as of course some some surprises. Um, we're going to talk about it a whole lot more with Tom Brevoort and some of the creators and folks that are are going to be there in it but definitely 
look out for it. And the stories, of course, featured in Marvel Ages 1000 are going to just be like a huge grand tour of all the mythos and stories and and classic days of Marvel and all kinds of great stuff. So we'll get into that in a a little bit with Tom Brevoort. Oh, and we'll also talk a little bit about the Marvel Comics value stamp Mm. that is on its way. Look out for it on August 30th to celebrate 84 years. Yeah. Um, Also, we're going to talk with Tom a little bit later because, you know, we're celebrating 600 episodes here. We wanted to talk a little bit about milestone issues and and sort of like big numbers in Marvel Comics. But Captain America is also hitting a big milestone with number 750. That's coming in July. It's a big giant sized star spangled spectacular. We're going to get into it a little bit with Tom later on, but that's coming out July 5th, which is perfect. July 4th week. It's Cap's birthday week. Yes. We had to do it that week. <laughs> mm-hmm. We're going to have the creators of the current Captain's America series, plus uh, other luminaries like J.M. DeMatteis, Gil Simone, Stephanie Williams, Dan Jurgens, Daniel Cunha, and so many more. It's going to be a big one. So yeah, uh, Tom is going to give us a little bit more info on that later on. Yes, 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 yes. All right, James, what's coming down the pike for Captain Marvel? Well, we have Captain Marvel Dark Tempest number one, written by Anne Nascenti and art by Paolo Villanelli, cover by Mark McCone. Following the finale of Kelly Thompson's historic run on Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers will continue to soar higher, faster, and further in the new series by a Marvel Comics visionary. Launching in July, longtime Marvel editor and groundbreaking writer Anne Nascenti will join acclaimed Star Wars bounty hunters artist Paolo Villanelli in Captain Marvel Dark Tempest. Y'all, this is going to be one you don't want to miss. We know Kelly's wrapping up that series and then we're getting into, you know, what's next for Carol. This is going to be a good one to bridge us into Carol's next phase. But Anasenti, one of the greats. One of the greats. Heck yeah. Also, shout out to Kelly Thompson. That was just a phenomenal run. And honestly, what a cool way to follow it up. Anasenti, just like a legend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cool. All right, get ready to bear down because it's the birth of the X-Men. Um, if I put that in there. I was like, oh, this one's going to make me laugh. Let's see if that makes the other two laugh. And it did. I win. Um, now, of course, if you missed the Marvel Unlimited X-Men 60th anniversary live stream hosted by the one and only Ryan Panagos mm-hmm. in March, then you probably missed one of the greatest chats with uh, Chris Claremont, Louise Simonson, and Walter Simonson, some iconic iconic X-Men creators. And if you want to dig into the start of the all new, all different era and why Chris regrets doing crossovers and which characters each creator would love to sit down with and break bread with, they have released a chat. They have unleashed the Kraken upon (laughs) Marvel's YouTube channel. Go watch that interview with Ryan and those legendary creators. It's delightful. And we love some X-Men. Yeah. And Wheezy and Walt and Chris is... It was a good time. I'm glad we're we're putting this one up. Um, but again, y'all subscribe to Marvel Unlimited. Get your annual subscriptions ready because we will be doing more of these cool chats and you want to be there when we do them live, participate and maybe win some free toys or books or whatever we have for you. So enjoy this now, but be there on the ground floor for them. Speaking about being there on the ground floor for things, the Marvel Multiverse RPG is coming soon. And we've got some new updates. We do actually get a whole bunch of feedback for the RPG and the team making it 
is taking that feedback and working it into these updates. So we've got new character sheets um, that are designed to be easier to follow so players can have everything they need for reference for play right, right there in front of them. Um, they added more space for powers with a page number reference slot to allow for you know good detailed note-taking and, and ways for you to think about your character really quickly, really easily as you're playing the game. Um, there's a section for team maneuvers, which is a new mechanic coming to the core rulebook in August. And this one is really cool. Team maneuvers allow you and your other team members, your other Avengers to join forces when things get tough. And so once per battle, if you and the team, the rest of the team are within five spaces of each other, you can decide to team up and activate a special ability. There are three categories of maneuvers, offensive, defensive, and rally. So each member of the group must agree to use the team maneuver, which makes sense. You know, you can't, right, right. can't just be bickering and all that. And it requires a focus spend from each player. That, that's all part of the RPG game. You'll, you'll understand it as you get deeper into it if you've not played it yet. But you got to choose wisely because once it's selected, you can't change it unless the team is in a safe space like their headquarters. And you only get it once per game. So... Think about that. Like, you you know, you may have your fastball special if you're just, you know, like two of you. But I was thinking about this, you know, like, could we come up with a team maneuver name? You know, James, you and I, big wrestling fans. So, like, I, I constantly think of, like, a doomsday device. Yes. Uh, like, the, like the the Road Warriors did yes. or other car- or other wrestlers. But what what could we put together? Oh, wow. Ooh, this, mm. is good. this is good. I always think of, like, something like a fastball special. Hmm. Uh, how about hot cross buns? <laughs> sure. That sounds, sounds, that, sounds Okay, this is what fantastic. happens in hot cross buns, though. Yep. You and James have to booty bounce me into the sky like a fastball special. <laughs> you know what? That could work. So what you do is you 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 get a running start. And then as you come in, we like do like, let's all do the bump. And we bump. And you, and, and you in the middle, and you just fly in the middle of the air and yes. go to the other person. Yeah. <laughs> As you're coming down, you burst into flames and yeah, come down like like a meteor, and then, but completely destroyed. protected because that's your power. Yeah, that yes. totally makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I yes. love it. Beware our hot cross buns. buns. And then they, <laughs> the the enemy would also be like confused and stunned because they would yeah. just be thinking about the song "Hot Cross Buns" and yeah. like playing it on a recorder when they were a child, and mm-hmm. it would just be totally we would they, 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 be told, they, they would not see it coming. Yes. So in addition to being able to do hot cross buns in the Marvel Multiverse (laughs) RPG, uh, some new updates include ability scores, non-combat checks, and damage that are now quickly accessible and simple to read on the sheet. Um, And, and, you know, there's everyone's going to use their sheets differently. So there's a note section to give each player different flexibility. So it'll allow you to play the RPG the way you want to play it. Uh, And to top it off, these new fillable character sheets are available for download. So we want to make sure that you can use them if you have the um, the playtest rulebook. You can head over to marvel.com slash RPG, check out the new sheets, give them a try. Of course, the Marvel Multiverse role-playing game core rulebook is releasing August 2nd of this year. It's currently available for pre-order now, pretty much at your local comic shop or where you get your books or your game stores. Go get ready for it. Heck to the yeah. Okay, if you're a fan of our amazing what-if stories or comics and such, you gotta listen up. James, tell us what you got. This summer, the imaginations of comic creators and fans will run wild once again in a new series of what-if, one-shots called What If Dark. What If Dark, Loki number one, written by Walter Simonson and art by Scott Eaton. What if Loki wielded 
Mjolnir. What in what if dark Loki number one, but this time Loki's in charge. A tale of one of Asgard's worst days and one of Loki's best on sale July 5th. Now that is a story I read. First of all, I love the what ifs. I have since I was a kid. So mm-hmm. this, this is right up my alley. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I'm also excited for what if dark spider Gwen number one. Written by Cherry Conway. Also, these are some iconic creators yeah, right here. Come on, crazy. Through. Really, I, I love this. I'm very excited. It's written by Jerry Conway and Jody Hauser with art by Ramon Box. And this is really asking, what if Gwen Stacy didn't die on the bridge that day, but Whoa. Spider-Man did? And Spider-Man legend Jerry Conway, of course, returns to his most famous spider story or infamous yeah. <laughs> spider story. <laughs> I was- Uh, For what if Dark Spider going number one, that's going to be on sale on July 19th. Cannot wait for it. Yeah. Then August 2nd, we'll have What If Dark Venom number one, written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Jethro Morales. And this one is What If Ben Grimm Became Venom? And Mm. so when Ben comes back to Earth after his exploration of space that he was doing post the original Secret Wars story, he finds that the Fantastic Four have trapped a helpless Clintar symbiote in Reed's lab. But is the symbiote really helpless or is it truly one of the most dangerous symbiotes in the galaxy? Witness the birth of a brand new Venom in What If Dark Venom number one at the beginning of August. I just hear the phrase, it's clobbering time, just with a lot of slobber, Ooh. just with a lot of Ooh. slobber and teeth. We we clobbering time. <laughs> we clobbering time. <laughs> and then, then of pooping course, out his mouth because right, that's right, what the green slime like, is. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> then what if Dark Moon Knight... Number one, written by Erica Schultz, art by Edgar Salazar. What if Moon Knight did not survive his battle with Bushman? What if Kanchu's avatar is slain and a different god empowers their own surprising new champion? From the darkness emerges a new force to light the way, Luminary. But will her quest for revenge against Moon Knight's killer result in her own downfall? On sale August 16th. Stay tuned for news about others coming your way this year. I'm telling you, y'all, this new section, this new chapter, this new journey of What If Dark, I think it's going to be really, really fun. You guys are going to have a great time. I know I'm going to pick them up. Trust me. I love this Mm -hmm. thing. Let's go from dark to midnight. Um, Let's talk Marvel's Midnight Suns. The art of the game, it's now on sale. It is a book in, in this uh this is a stealthy opportunity for y'all to remember that marvel's midnight suns is one of ryan's all-time favorite games and rightfully so, so the game is freaking awesome yeah that's true it's that's so true. good i was playing some more last night logan just being friends and talking about how like he's having a good time and and like Taking it easy here at the with the other characters was one of the conversations I had last night. There's a book club. There's, you know, all kinds of like really fun little moments. There's a, a, a little black cat you can find around the Abbey and you can pick her up and pet her and she like purrs and stuff. There's a demon dog that you can pet. You can pet a cat and a dog in the game. Like, <laughs> Which is honestly a, a thing all I've you, ever wanted really, in a really. game. That's, that's all you need. That's all you need. Just real Plus life. it's really um, fun. But if you love the game or you're interested in games, I highly recommend checking out Marvel's Midnight Suns, The Art of the Game. It captures a lot about the creative process. It it talks about all kinds of different aspects and shows you sort of an inside look at it. There's exclusive concept art and in-game renderings created by the extremely talented development team, of course, who work alongside our Marvel compatriots to bring it all to life. They have 
glorious details in this hardback volume. It has characters, locations, gadgets, weapons, monsters, enemies, and lots more. Definitely go check it out. This is like a, a beautiful book. And if you're interested at all in the art of the game, you want to do it. You can see a bunch of pages of the book on Marvel.com. Um, and you can read an excerpt of the text if you want to go get a little preview. Um, it's super cool if you're fans of the process. And of course, um, you get to see some awesome characters like Nico Minoru, uh, Magic, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Blade, um, puppies, kittens, <laughs> best friends, <laughs> the super cool Abbey location. Go check it out. Um, and of course, go pick up the book wherever books are sold and play the game. It will make Ryan happy. And, and you like a happy Ryan. Yeah. Seriously. We love a happy Ryan. Get off your asses and play the game, <laughs> flat scans. All right. Flat uh, scans. <laughs> uh, let's move on and talk about some podcasty stuff uh, while we're doing a podcasty thing because the latest episode of Marvel's Pull List podcast is up right now. It is our podcast about comics. It's the official Marvel Comics podcast. Our picks for this week's new comics are Clobberin' Time number two, which is so good. It's Wolverine and Thing. In a bloody, wild, cross-dimensional battle, Wolverine's full, almost full body gets obliterated, and there's one scene of him trying to talk, and it's just like, and it's it's gnarly. It's really fun. Uh, Deadpool number six, which is the best rom-com uh, happening in all media right now, and Doctor Strange number two, which is wild. It's uh, Stephen and Clea going to the nightmare dimension, and it is a trip. It's really, really good. That I got to pick up. And our reading club this week, where we talk about a book in Marvel Unlimited with a guest, is on the first arc of Immortal Hulk, titled Or Is He Both, with Marvel Stormbreaker artist Martin Coccolo, who's just the best. We delve into the story of Bruce Banner, a return of Hulk as a horror-infused tale. And really, Martin gives a lot of insight into storytelling from his artistic side of view. But also, Martin, I don't know. Maybe he's working with Al Ewing soon, and Al Ewing wrote Immortal Hulk, and so he was. Mm. We're getting into a little perspective of of the collaboration process. So mm. very, very cool. New episodes of Marvel's Pull List podcast are out every Tuesday, and it's a perfect time, a perfect way for you to get ready for Wednesday's new comic book day. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey now! All right, coming up. For our 600th episode, we've got our chat with the one and only Tom Brevoort, who peels back the Marvel curtain and reveals all of the secrets that have ever happened about Marvel milestones and Marvel comics. Yeah, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. You are listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. I'm Lorraine Sink. And I am James Monroe Eichelhart. And we are Hot Cross Buns. Hot Buns, one a penny, two a penny. Hot Cross Buns. Cross Buns. <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh, Love it. goodness. All right. As promised, we have our interview now coming up to talk not just about our huge 600th episode milestone, but to talk about some epic Marvel milestones that are happening this year and that have happened throughout the Marvel Age of Comics with Tom Brevoort. You know, Lorraine, we're about to chat with someone we've talked to many times before, and he bills himself as a man with a hat, but I'm looking at him right now, and Tom <laughs> Brevoort is not wearing a hat. Tom, what do you have to say for yourself? I'm, I'm in my house. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't need to wear a hat indoors. Only, only outsides. 
Huh. That's just common courtesy, common wow. common knowledge. Wow. So the Brevoort household is a no hat zone. Got it. Understood. Understood. <laughs> That's okay because you are representing man with a hat on Substack. So we'll forgive it. Oh, and the hat is back. My uh, wife has just has just yay. made a special delivery of, of the hat. So. <laughs> uh, thank you for not letting your husband be roasted on this week at Marvel. <laughs> Now, Tom, you are aware of many hats, not just the literal one on your head. You do many, many things. But for anyone who is not yet familiar with your <laughs> prolific credits and your man with a hat substack and all of the other things that you do at Marvel Comics, whether we ask you to or not, what is your role here at Marvel Comics? And what are some of your favorite issues that you've worked on through the years? I think my official title is Master of the Marvel Arts. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I directly edit about a dozen comics every month and I oversee a big swath of our editorial department editing all of the rest. Uh, most of what I work on is in the, you know, what we think of as either the Avengers office or the Marvel Heroes office. So Avengers, Fantastic Four and, and characters in those families. I also have been recently doing Moon Knight and Punisher and a few other things. So there's always stuff going on. You've been a Marvel, what, 35 years, give or take? It's We're into the 34th year. So more than 33, less than 34. Okay. All right. Well, uh, in those years, do you have any issues that are not, not your all-time favorite, but just things you're proud of that you, your books that you've, you've put out in the world that you say, I enjoyed that? There are so many, but typically my go-to answer for this question is always the, the same two things. Now, my favorite two things that I've done are the Mark Wade and Mike Waringo era of Fantastic Four, now 20 years ago. Wow. Uh, and slightly more recently, the Dan Slott, Mike Allred, Silver Surfer, which are only, I don't know, five or six years old at this point. Very but there's a book. whole bunch of other things there, in, in there, too. A whole bunch. Yeah. A I whole bunch. But, you know, we're celebrating our 600th episode and there's some big milestones also going on in the world that aren't just us. I heard that these little rink-eating teams, you might have heard of them, the X-Men, the Avengers, they're both celebrating <laughs> their 60th. Um, of course, Captain America is having his 750th issue. Marvel Age is now on its 1,000th issue. What does that big anniversary issue numbering mean to you? And, and what are those milestones like to embrace and edit? As a reader coming up, you know, I started reading comics in the 70s, and by that point, anniversary issues had started to be something. Um, for the longest time, they were just another issue of a comic. You do issue 99, you do issue 100, you do issue 101, and you know maybe there'd be a small blurb that says, look, 100 issues, but there wouldn't be any particular attention paid to it. And it was really not until the 70s and the late 70s that people really began focusing on like centennial issues as a big deal and making them into more of a big event, an oversized book or a special story. Uh, and the same thing largely with uh, anniversary issues, 10th, 25th, 50th, and so forth. It really wasn't until you got into the 70s and 80s. And as much as anything, I think that was the rise of the direct sales market, that when you were in a mainstream newsstand market, and you were just selling casually to people, they didn't particularly care one way or another if it was issue 100 or issue 123, if the cover looked good, if it was exciting, if Spider-Man was in some dire predicament, you know, they'd pick it up. 
But once you moved into the, the collector's market and the more you know tightly focused fan culture of that era, uh, of that uh, environment, the centennial issues meant something. They signified some moment of celebration. And consequently, they tended to sell better. I know as a young reader, I would buy centennial issues, at, you know, big anniversary issues of books I didn't otherwise read simply because it was a big issue and it would probably be more expensive on the back issue market. So, you know, if, if I had a chance there, I, I was buying, you know, Master Kung Fu number 100, even if I wasn't reading the book otherwise, because otherwise, I, if I wanted it later, I'd have to spend a pretty penny in 1981 terms. Sure. I want to ask about those milestone issues because in the 70s, we start hitting, you know, 10 years of, you know, regular uh, Marvel superhero comics. What are some of those milestones that are interesting to you as, as a reader, as a fan, or even as just a Marvel historian? Do you have any that particularly, you know, stick in your brain as, as special, cool? Well, uh, I mean, again, when, you, when you're talking about the earliest ones, you know, they weren't oversized. And in most cases, there was a little attention paid to them, but they weren't really that special. In FF100, they fight like all robots uh, of all of their villains, android copies that the Mad Thinker and the Puppet Master have made of all their villains. And so there's a certain significance of, oh, it's a 100th issue, and look, here's all the, all the guys we fought. But it was just a regular, normal-sized issue. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 100 was a regular normal sized issue. It was the last issue consecutively that Stan scripted, although he'd come back and do a bunch of them, you know, a couple of months later. Uh, and that one famously ended with Spider-Man growing six arms, <laughs> which is a good which is a good way. If you're going to leave a, a series and hand it off to somebody else, I always recommend to all my writers, <laughs> the last page of your issue should be your hero has six arms. Take, take it away, new guy. <laughs> um, but even there, it was noted, but it wasn't that special. And it wasn't really until you get into the 70s. And this is when I was, you know, was a reader. And, uh, you know, you talk about these sorts of issues to me. And the one that, you know, always made the most lasting impression was Fantastic Four 200. Fantastic Four 200 was the first of these anniversary issues that was oversized. It was double-sized. It was the end of, like, a story that had been running for at least a year where the Fantastic Four was split up and Reed had lost his powers and so forth. And it was a big Doctor Doom story. And it was promoted in the bullpen bulletins in a big way, a little cover reproduction. And I didn't get it. <laughs> I missed it. Oh, I no. missed it because it didn't come to my, my, uh, my local 7-Eleven where I was getting my comics for whatever reason. They didn't get any of the giant, any of the oversized issues. So no annuals and no Fantastic Four 200. And I can remember what a traumatic thing it was. And I sort of knew it was coming because it had been a while. But it was a pretty traumatic moment to go to that 7-Eleven and find Fantastic Four 201. Uh, that, was, that was like a, a dagger to the heart. And it took many, many months before I'd eventually get a copy, an actual copy of Fantastic Four 200. So that one looms the largest in my memory. Well, and some anniversaries have persevered, even if the title took a little hiatus or a little break or a little change, uh, a little shift. Um, you know, like Captain America, for instance, got 
you know, became a capsicle. <laughs> the sort of 50s came along and Monster Comics kind of took over and Cap took a little nap, a little snooze until he thawed in the 60s. How does it work when you're putting together the idea of, I guess we call it legacy numbering. Um, how does legacy numbering work and how do you math it? Who does the math? Where does the math happen? Well, I was involved with a lot of the math when they were those numbers were first being put together. And we have pretty much for all of the on, ongoing long-running titles, spreadsheets that show effectively what counts towards the numbers and what stuff kind of doesn't count towards the numbers. Uh, and it's definitely become more complicated in, in more recent years. You know, back in the day, it was pretty straightforward. You know, if you were publishing Fantastic Four, you started at one and you just kept adding a number every month. And so eventually you'd hit 100 and 200 and 300 and so forth. Uh, and that was great until you, again, you get into the 90s and, you know, Marvel starts renumbering things. You know, they do Heroes Reborn and those books are restarted at number one again. And then they come back as Heroes Return and they're restarted as number one again. Uh, and so you then have to start tracking things like what is the, what I call the successor series to a title. And uh, so the Heroes Reborn, Fantastic Four effectively in the publishing schedule takes the place of what had been the regular Fantastic Four up to that point. And so it continues those numbers. And that's sort of the math that we do to arrive at a place where now we've got a number. Having done all of that, though, like those, those choices and those decisions are all made. So for the most part, there's not a lot of question moving forward. We've doped all that stuff out, rightly or wrongly, you know, well or poorly. There's some numerical decisions that I don't love, but because they were made before and there's no getting around them. They're they're part of the count. So that's why we call it legacy numbering. I got it. (laughs) Also the legacy you were left. (laughs) Sometimes, yes. Talking about legacy numbering is one thing. I also, you know, that we also have some some wild numbering going on with some of the other titles like Marvel Age. We're hitting issue 1000 of Marvel Age. Uh, but I remember Marvel Age 100 had Forbish Man on the cover and the series ended at issue 140 in 1994. So how in the heck do we get to 1000, Tom? We get to 1000 exactly the same way that we got to Amazing Fantasy 1000 and Marvel Comics 1000 by just deciding to. You know, the Marvel Age 1000 that we're publishing right now doesn't really have anything to do with Marvel Age, the fan magazine that ran in the 80s and 90s. It's not going to be a fan magazine. It's not going to tell you about upcoming Marvel comics. It's not going to have interviews with creators. There's not going to be a two-page Fred Hembeck cartoon. There's not going to be a Stan Soapbox. There's none of that stuff. Uh, You know, what that 1000 is, much like Amazing Fantasy and much like Marvel Comics 1000 is, it's a celebration of the Marvel Age of comics uh, that really started in the 60s, although it kind of goes all the way back to 1938 in, in, in some respect. And so it'll be another big, oversized brouhaha, chock full of great talent, telling cool stories about the formative stuff, all kind of tethered into the idea of the spirit of what Marvel is and uh, you know, what the Marvel Age signifies. Well, we talked about a lot of things that may not happen in Marvel Age 1000, but what are some of the things that are going to happen in Marvel Age 1000 this time around? What can you tease Uh, for us? 
much like Amazing Fantasy a thousand. It's got multiple stories by multiple creators. Um, so, uh, you know, the earliest set story in it is by Mark Wade and Alessandro Capuccio and features the original Human Torch back in the 30s. Most of the stories are set in the, like the formative Marvel days of the quasi early 60s. So there's a Rainbow Rowell story drawn by Marguerite Savage that's all about the relationship between Scott Summers and Jean Grey. There's a Silver Surfer story that's set a little later. That's a very classic vintage Silver Surfer Mephisto sort of story that Steve McNiven is writing and drawing. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski and Kari Andrews did a great little story that doesn't feature directly any Marvel characters, but uh, has the entire Marvel universe created in a kid's backyard uh, and is really terrific. Armando Iannucci, the creator of Veep, and uh, Adam Kubert are doing a, a wonderful Daredevil story in which uh, Daredevil finds himself uh, afflicted by a very human ailment and uh, a bunch a bunch more. Jason Aaron and Pepe Larraz are doing a, a Thor story with the Jane Foster Thor and how uh, she impacts on the life of a, of a regular person in, in the Marvel Universe. Ryan Stegman's writing and drawing a Spider-Man story that's all about Peter Parker and his, his network of friends and family and how they make it possible for him to be Spider-Man. And I've uh, apparently promised in the solicit that we would uh, bring back the Marvel value stamps and have the number 1,000 Marvel value stamp in that book so that people can cut it out and complete their Marvel value stamp collection. <laughs> uh, what about over in Captain America 750? What can we tease about that? I can tease a little bit less, if only because that's not edited by me directly. That's edited by Alana Smith. Much like with Marvel Age 1000, it's a celebration of all things Captain America, both you know, sort of the culmination of uh, the current era that uh, uh, Jackson and Colin and uh, uh, Tochi Onyabuchi have been uh, spearheading on the two Captain America titles. Um, it's also got work from uh, classic cap creators from the past uh, and some people uh, who are considered classic creators but have never done a Captain America story before. Gail Simone does a Captain America story in this. It's a big star-spangled package. For some of our listeners, this might be relevant too. Can you explain the way and the reasoning of the way comics are dated, you know, the release date versus the cover date? Sure. Um, well, yeah, the, the, the thing for people to know, and this used to be common knowledge because it was everywhere. And since it stopped, you know, being such an important thing, I guess it sort of faded into, into obscurity. But the whole reason that there are dates on comic books, and those dates used to be on the covers. At this point, we don't really even bother putting them on the covers for the most part. Um, but the reason there were dates on, on comic book covers going back to the 30s is that was to tell the retailer, who in those days was a, you know, like a newsstand or a mom and pop shop or whatever, when it was time to take that particular issue off the racks. Uh, and send it back for credit if it hadn't sold. So those dates weren't really intended to be like, here's the month it comes out. It's really, here's the month it stops being sold. Um, and those dates, you know, eventually became standardized as three months ahead of publication. Fantastic Four One was on sale August 8th, 1961, but its cover month is November. So what you're saying is you have to bag and board your comics because they will expire. After about three months, yes. like yogurt. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> okay, good. You need to buy new ones at, at every three months. <laughs> at, at, least. at least. At least. Tom, you have such a good memory for these things. I'm constantly impressed by it. But our readers are also some of the most belovedly pedantic human beings that exist. <laughs> and you've also been in charge of giving out some no prizes over the years. For anyone, of course, who doesn't know what a no prize, can you explain what it is? Um, and also, do you have an all-time favorite no prize? Or are they all annoying <laughs> as an editor? No, no, no. They're, they're, you know, the no prize isn't, isn't annoying, although they get given out far less frequently now than they might have at one point in the past. Um, the no prizes were an innovation of Stan's. Um, very early on, he did a, it wasn't quite a contest. It was more of a, a reader reaction thing in the pages of the letters page of the early Fantastic Four. And he said something about, because there's, you know, it's not a contest, there'll be no prizes. And eventually he hit on that as a term. So he'd start using the term no prize as a thing. You get a no prize building off of that. And the problem came when, you know, people who had, had been given a no prize in some letters page wrote in months later to find out where when their no prize was coming. <laughs> and Stan was like, well, you, you kind of missed the point here, but okay. So what they ended up doing was they designed and printed these empty envelopes that said, congratulations, your Marvel No Prize is enclosed. And they were empty, which was the gag. And so Stan started sending those out to people, or really probably Flo Steinberg started sending those out to people who had won no prizes. And then they started to get mail in that said, I got the envelope, but it was empty. I think my no prize must have fallen out along the way. Can you? So at that point, they started putting those envelopes in other envelopes <laughs> to send them to people. Stan would give them out for whatever. You know, whatever struck his fancy pretty much. Uh, yeah, in the 70s, they were really all over the place. Sometimes it was for finding a mistake in a Marvel book, or sometimes it was, it was just because the letters page writer wanted to... Uh, uh, or liked a particular thing somebody said. Uh, eventually, these got codified in the 80s to being not just pointing out a mistake, but explaining why it wasn't a mistake in the first place. Uh, and that lasted for about 10 years or so. And then uh, they started being given out to people who asked stand questions in the soapbox in the 90s. You know, we really haven't done a whole lot with them consistently since then. I have the last remaining legitimate supply of no prizes. And so every once in a while, somebody will do something that I feel is, you know, worthy of that recognition and I'll send them one. But it's fa fairly rare because once this stack of them is gone, there there are no more. Uh, There's and sure, no, we no always, prizes. We could always just print out more, but these are, you know, of a much better vintage than anything we would print up today. Something that uh, our listeners can endeavor to maybe one day, hopefully, get their own no prize. 
There's a, a question from one of the, the folks on the audio team here, and you, you kind of touched on this recently in one of your newsletters, but I think it's it's also maybe something we can talk about here. You know, in your 33 plus years at Marvel, you've worked alongside a number of different editors in chief. Um, do you see distinct differences between um, the various, you know, editors uh, approaches, initiatives, priorities, sort of thinking from one sort of quote unquote era to another? Well, uh, sure, you can't you can't help uh, but see differences both because each individual is different and the period, the time period in which they're working is, is different. Um, you know, so the concerns of the moment, you know, change as, as the era changes. So yeah, the different editor-in-chiefs were all different, you know, and all had their own individual problems to grapple with in, in those periods and, you know, had, had comics that they liked better and thing, you know, creators that they liked better and, you know, kinds of stories that they wanted to do. And it would vary from person to person. All right. We have to release you back into the wild soon. And there are so many things we could talk about because there's a million questions that we have about everything. And your hat is full of secrets and knowledge. But, you know, looking back at your almost 35 years at Marvel, which is, that's an outrageous thing to say. Um <laughs> Looking back at all of these, you know, milestones that you've been a part of and anniversary issues that you've been a part of, do you have one that's closest to your heart or a story that resonates with you the most, even if it wasn't one you worked on? I guess probably the most significant was likely Avengers 500, which was the start of Avengers Disassembled and Brian Bendis's first issue on Avengers. That's a real central turning point, Brian and, and David Finch. That's probably, as, as these things go, maybe the most weighty of, of the various uh, centennials and things that I've done over the years. Good issue. I just reread Breakout and I was like, oh, I got to go read a Disassembled again and then I got to keep reading oh, more man. Avengers. Damn it. These comics are good. I hate it. Uh, <laughs> as if I have time. One last thing before we go, uh, because this was fun, you know, thinking about obscure stories, different titles, sometimes characters pop up, especially as we've been seeing in Moon Knight of late. Are there any favorite obscure things that you would love to see come back i know someone on our team was like strike force moratory someone else was like team america <laughs> i know someone else on the digital team said uh was talking to me about us one the other day and i said steel town rockers anything of that ilk that uh that you're like yes someday it uh see the 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 problem with that question for me ryan is that like if i get the urge to to see something like that back i have a whole bunch of comics every month that i can put it in so I, I can actually scratch most of those itches. You know, the only ones that get problematic are ones where there's some licensing concern. So, you know, we won't be seeing Micronauts anytime soon. Oh. We're probably not going to do a lot with ROM or the Shogun Warriors or Godzilla. Uh, you know, those sorts of things. Apart from those considerations, you know, I don't have a lot that I'm holding on to going, oh, if only I could, you know, do whatever if i if i wanted to i could just put them in you know marvel age a thousand or some other comic it's not i have a different situation than, than most people it's not a problem for me <laughs> if i want to bring back you know whatever mort the dead teenager or uh, uh it the living colossus or something i just do it i i talk to a writer and go hey i'd like to bring back mort the dead teenager can you have him fight moon knight next month maybe <laughs> uh, and it's the living Colossus can help. And, and suddenly there's a, there's a story. Fantastic. Well, I look so, forward to Steel Town Rockers being in a future Infinity Comics. <laughs> um, 
Tom. Thank you. That, that's a good poll. Yeah. <laughs> uh, send Tom all of your your weird characters to beg for them to return. <laughs> <laughs> Go find him on the internet. <laughs> line, line them all up behind Wolfpack. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Hey, we put them in trade like a year or two ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, no rock left unturned. There you go. <laughs> Tom, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Thanks Tom. for having me. Big thank you once again to Tom Brevoort, uh, Vice President and Executive Editor for Marvel Comics and been at Marvel for over 30 years. Just a font of honesty, perspective, history, and and sort of knowledge about the craft of storytelling and comics. On a, you know, we joke around, we have a lot of fun, but I value every time I get to to talk with Tom. He's one of the best. God, his brain. His brain is amazing. Like just the stuff that he knows and remembers. I can't remember what I ate for breakfast, but like Tom <laughs> could tell you what page of what comic of what year of what series, like somebody dropped a hanky. Like he's just amazing. <laughs> All right. And next week we also have on another amazing guest, Sean Gunn, who plays Kraglin in Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, as well as the other Guardians films. Um, also an icon of Gilmore Girls fame. I will never let it go. <laughs> Lorraine. Um, what? We got him to talk about Gilmore Girls yes! a little bit, a little bit. Yes! You, yes! Had, you had a very specific question we didn't have time to ask, but before it's over, we did hit into Gilmore Girls just a little bit. Thank goodness. Um, mm-hmm. Priorities. I love Sean Gunn. He's phenomenal. Um, and in the spirit of that, we want to know, what's your favorite Guardians MCU moment? James, what is your favorite MCU Guardians moment? That's hard because there's a lot. There's there's many, but I think the one that that gets me the the most uh, it does have to do with Rocket, and he just says he he says, "Great, good, we're all standing." <laughs> there's something about that moment, it's about like because like honestly, there's these moments in movies, and it's not just Marvel. There's all these movies where like the heroes that decide to do something together and they stand up, and it's like, what's the point? You could have said that while sitting down. I mean, everybody does it. Every every movie does it. But it's the fact that he brought light to it. Great, good. We're all standing. I was like, thank you. <laughs> it just tickled me. I loved it. Man, I still remember watching. I I got in to see an advanced screening of Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy first film. And I was sitting next to Brett White, who now works for Decider over at the New York Post, but used to do a lot of freelance writing for us. And Brett and I kept hitting each other in the arm because of how good that movie was. And I remember, you know, that first like maybe 10, 15 minutes of the film that goes back at Peter Quill's early life and he loses his mother. I was sobbing in like the first few minutes of the film. And I was like... And then immediately, like five minutes later, I was laughing so hard. And I was like, oh, dang, I'm in for a journey because yeah. my feelings are all over the map. Yeah. Ugh. The second film has a lot of great moments. I think um, one of my favorite moments is just the the use of Fleetwood Max The Chain and the way mm. that that song is incorporated into the film. And then they're, they're sort of like the, the team is coming together and there's that like slow march. It just it runs in my head periodically. But in the first film, I think my favorite moment is at, like the aftermath of all the big battle at the end. And Rocket is just sitting there so sad. And he's holding the stick 
yeah. a piece of Groot. <laughs> and Drax just sits down next to him and puts his arm around him. And like Rocket flinches for a second, but then he relaxes. It's all done with the beauty of Dave Bautista as Drax and the quiet interactions of these characters and the the beautiful VFX work that's done there, the stuff that Sean Gunn, who we'll talk to next week, has has put into that too. Like there's they're so good. There is a moment in the second film, you know, where Quill is dealing with the fact that Ego is his dad. And then when Yandu basically tells him, I was always your dad. He says, that- Ego is your father, but I'm your daddy. Yes. That I you talk there's that moment, you know, there's that moment where you're like I'm I'm having a great time at this wonderful action film I'm not gonna cry and when he says that I was just like I was like nope nope I'm done that Yandu storyline just broke me so bad it was so good <laughs> see that's how director writer James Gunn gets you he's like oh do you want a fun lighthearted comedy where everybody's <laughs> just having a good time and we're calling each other a holes and it's just like a laugh and then they're like no. Bam! In your feelings. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> so that's from us. Yeah. Uh, what's yours? Y'all, tell us, what is your favorite Guardians MCU moment? You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it's okay to read on the show. Yeah, because you know what time it is. It's time to take those This Week in Messages. This Week in Messages. This Week in Messages with Lorraine, Ryan, and James. <laughs> the The question we asked last week, James, was what is your favorite long-running comic? We were thinking of, you Ooh. know, like Amazing Spider-Man, Avengers, mm. uh, Uncanny X-Men, like those long runs of books because, yeah, yeah. you know, big numbers. All right, let's get into some of these answers. Uh, we got a tweet in here from Next Cypher Productions at Next Cypher Pro who said, I love the Avengers series. The superhero team is made up of some of Marvel's most popular characters, including Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. Mm-hmm. All right, we got Urbe Dorotio at Urbe underscore Excelsior, who said Avengers 2018 to 2023, because they've seen the Avengers for the first time against the Dark Celestials in the final host until the formation of the largest group of Avengers ever assembled to save the multiverse in Avengers Assemble. I love that you chose a, a chunk of what is a 60 year. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's great, though. But that's I like awesome. that, like honing in. Uh, there's Kim at SK Mattel. My favorite long running Marvel comic series is Daredevil. I mean, there's so many iconic Succeed. Daredevil moments, and you string that's them true. all together. Oof. Mm-hmm. So good. Ian Yaxon at Ian Yaxon Tunes tweeted, For me, my favorite long running was what got me into comics in the first place, which was Ultimate X-Men from oh. December 2000 to March 2009. That's a good yeah, book. Nine a good years. Good oh, ten, ten years. It's good. All right. We got Kai Hagenberg at Arvell underscore Crynid, who said, Hickman's Avengers New Avengers run, including Secret Wars, as its final closure arc uh, really capping off the end of an era strongest avenger at twinkle underscore fists tweeted captain marvel by kelly thompson this run has been great the soon-to-be 50 issue run is giving us carol danvers who makes sacrifices makes mistakes takes on challenges who has evolved it has also introduced incredible new characters yeah iconic at this point mm-hmm all right, next up, we got Art at Zark Files, who said, Avengers was my favorite, starting with number one in 1963. My mother forced me to sell my comics in 1979, and ever since, 
I've been trying to get them back. It is, oh. one could say, an obsession. Ooh, that is a shot right in the bread box. Yes. <laughs> and it's a story that's, you know... It's, a tale uh, as old as time. I, I was about to say a tale as old as time. You hear this all the time. <laughs> uh, this email is from James Dean. Hi, This Week in Marvel team. I took y'all's advice two years ago and got Marvel Unlimited. Since then, I've checked out many long-running series. Amazing Spider-Man beats them all. Every issue seems like a classic. Nuff said, best wishes, James Dean. Yeah. Our pal Joe Hoffman says, hi, everybody. Hope you're all having a great day. In answer to the question of the week, my favorite long-running comic has to be the X-Men. So that's the comic I had a subscription to when I was a kid growing up, a young, true believer. And the X-Men helped me feel like I wasn't alone and feeling like I was a mutant, which was a huge comfort to me while I was growing up feeling very much like a fish out of water. And as corny as it may sound, I consider Professor X, Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, Rogue, Cyclops, Colossus, Magneto, and other mutants that Chris Claremont masterfully wrote about while I was growing up to be members of my family. And all of those wonderful characters and Chris Claremont still have a special place in my heart now that I am older and hopefully a wiser true believer. Have a marvelous week, Twim family. Thanks, Joe. Oh, so nice. Yes. All right, next up, we got an email from JC. Hi, Ryan and Lorraine. And I'm adding James. Uh, happy spring season to you. For me, my favorite long-running Marvel series has to be Amazing Spider-Man. For one, this is the only book I can confidently say I've read 100 issues of. <laughs> also, it's a title and character that taught me all sorts of fundamental life lessons about responsibility and sacrifice, while also being incredibly fun. I look forward to new issues every time they come out. Keep on being amazing, guys. Love the show. Aw, thanks. JC. His email's from Henrik Hansen. Happy 600. Wow. Honestly, you don't look a day over 497. Thank you very much, <laughs> Henrik. My favorite long-running comic is Hulk. Hulk and Banner have rung all the changes. At different times, they have been the hero, the villain, and the victim. The best run was definitely Planet Hulk slash World War Hulk. Hang on. I think the Red Hulk saga was even better. Oh, I forgot about Immortal Hulk, which was also amazing. Can't choose. Puny human brain can't decide. Ah! Make mine Hulk. I mean, make mine Marvel. Hulk. Make my Hulk Marvel. Ah! Henrik Hansen, man. I love the fact that you were going back from yourself to your Hulk self in this email. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, last email of the week is from Ken Campbell and said, I would have to choose the Fantastic Four as All they right. were my introduction into Marvel Comics. They have been and will always be Marvel's first family. Excellent choice, Ken. Everybody loves the FF. Heck yeah. Um, also, I just want to add a little shout out to Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, and so many other really important creators that you know, laid the bedrock of the Marvel universe as we know it uh, in this modern era. So shout out to those folks and all of the amazing work that they've done that allows us to keep doing what we're doing and do 600 episodes of a podcast. I think it's really yeah. funny that those guys came up with these stories and, you know, they were just trying to come up with stories. Never in their wildest dreams did they think that they would be creating like this incredible legacy that people will be talking about or doing or, you know, it, mu it must have been crazy for them to look out on Halloween and see people dressed as the characters that they thought up from their heads. That's 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 so cool to me. That's so cool to me. So shout out to those amazing legends. Comics were so disposable early, right? in those early days. Yeah. They were just like oh, yeah. meant to be, Magazines. they were like, you know, newspaper. Yeah, magazines, newspapers, you read them, all right, it's done. 
just like this podcast. Now that you're done with it, throw it in the trash, because this episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to every single person who has ever listened to This Week in Marvel, the podcast, um, over these last 600 episodes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And make sure you get together with your friends and get those hot crossed buns. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And I'm James. This is Marvel. Your, your universe. universe.